also when you're an elite athlete, things are available to you. Things are made available to you. Oh, let's get Greg Luganis high or let's, you know, you know, that sort of thing happens. And being young and impressionable, like just wanting to fit in, sure, you do, you go that route for a bit. But it depends on how committed you are in what your passionate pursuits are. And for me at that time, it was diving. So if it interfered with my diving, then I could set it aside. You're listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast where experts share experiences and the latest thinking on mental health and psychology. Here's your host, Gabe Howard. Hey, everyone. I'm your host, Gabe Howard. And calling into the show today, we have Greg Luganis. Greg is simply the greatest diver in history. With a total of five Olympic medals, five world championship titles, and 47 national titles, his records remain unbroken to this day. Greg, welcome to the show. Thank you. Nice to be here. Well, I am I am super excited to talk. I'm, I'm a little bit of a fanboy. I, you know, back in 1988... <laughs> You know, I was 12. I, I and I was an awkward 12. I I feel the need to say that. And and the Olympics were kind of a big deal in my house and you won everything. You were just you were just everywhere and it was it was very very cool to watch. Well, thank you. In in leading up for this show, I I did a little non-scientific experiment and and I want to be very very clear, non-scientific. I asked approximately 10 different people do you know who Greg Luganus is? And uh, the good news is all of them did. All, all of them said yes. Oh, really? The, yeah, I'm yeah. Shot. Every single person. Yeah, the, all of them knew who you were. But they all gave some variant of he's that swimmer diver Olympian with AIDS, right? Yeah. And I just have to ask, what is the mental health toll of having people remember you for an illness you have versus your incredible accomplishments? Well, what people remember is me hitting my head on the springboard in the 88 Olympic games. And then the controversy surrounding that and all that stuff years later about my HIV status. And, um, people, I, I have all kinds of labels that people give me, <laughs> you know, from goat grace of all time or the diver with, you know, with AIDS or, you know, um, oh yeah, that gay diver or, you know, they give me all kinds of labels and I, I know myself well enough that I don't really, I don't buy into the, the labels. I mean, I feel that everybody is more than whatever labels anybody's going to give them. So I don't hang on to that. Did you always feel that way? Did it ever affect you and you've just sort of matured or grown out of that due to experience or from day one where you're just like, I don't care what you think. I know who I am. Well, you know, it started when I was really young. I mean, because I was bullied as a kid. I was a little small. I had darker skin. I was probably a bit effeminate. I don't know, because people would call me fag and all that stuff. And, you know, when I went to my mom, she said, oh, they're just jealous. Like, oh, okay. Because I could do things that they couldn't. could do acrobatics and dance. And I mean, I was performing on stage since I was three. I think it started there. It started that conditioning of mindset and of thinking about who am I? I didn't buy into the labels. 
and sure, you know, more confidence as you get older, you know, you come to realize that everybody's more than any label that anybody tries to give somebody. Yeah, so I, I, I don't judge other people that way. You know, I know that most people are trying to put definitions and put people in boxes and all that stuff. That's more reflective of who they are than that individual person. I think it's a, a great feeling and it, it is an evolved feelings. And I know that you've had issues with addiction and mental health struggles in the past. Were these caused by the controversy or unrelated? Right. I mean, there's all types of coping mechanisms that we use with whatever pain we might be dealing with. A big part of mine, I, I didn't realize I was pretty much self-medicating over various things that were going on in my life, the loss of my dad, the loss of my mom, just various times of my life trying to cope. Because when I lost my dad, I, I inherited his his morphine and because <laughs> he died of cancer and a lot of the pain medications. And it's like, oh, well, I, I didn't realize I was in emotional pain. So I was taking those drugs to, to deaden the pain that I was in. Pain is pain, whether it's emotional or physical pain. Pain is very real. And so we all deal with it and have coping mechanisms to, to deal with it and learn about that and also learning about addiction, why things happen, why, why those things happen and what are we trying to avoid? I, I want to be upfront and say, I just assumed, as I imagine many of my listeners do and, and many of America does, that all of your mental health issues were surrounding hitting your head on the diving board, the public controversy, being diagnosed with HIV AIDS. And then you just mentioned that your parents passed away. And I'm like, well, yeah, that would do it. That, 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 would, that would cause trauma. Yeah. Do, do people forget that you're a real person that has had other things happen to them? Well, you know what? People like to say, what was the turning point? What was that moment? And generally, there's no single moment. Everybody's human. Everybody oftentimes neglects some of the things that we don't want to take a look at, that we don't want to examine. So we stuff it down. And so over time, that builds up, builds up, builds up, and then it, it explodes. It's got to have an outlet somehow. Oftentimes, especially if you're an introvert, then we're usually taking it out on ourselves, usually doing the damage to ourselves. And so examining the damage that we might be doing to ourselves and getting to a healthy, healthy side. And I'm a compulsive person. So sure, you know, <laughs> four Olympic gold, gold medals and, you know, all these titles and everything. Yeah, that's, that's a bit compulsive. <laughs> that's not, that's not real normal, but embracing that, filling those things with making healthier choices. And that's the thing that I've learned. One of the coping skills is, okay, what I know what I want to do, but <laughs> it may not be good. But maybe if it's not good, what is a healthier choice to make healthy choices rather than picking up a bottle of wine or tequila or whatever it is, or the pain pills or anything like that, going for a walk, taking the dogs on a hike, signing up for an AIDS walk or something that is in line with being good to yourself. 
In another interview, you had mentioned that you started abusing drugs at the age of 12, and that blew my mind for for so many reasons. I have so many questions about that, but the the biggest one that I have is, uh, how did you manage being an elite athlete and have a a drug and alcohol problem at the the same time? They they, they seem so mutually exclusive to me. Well, growing up, both my parents smoked, both of them drank. They were kind of my role models. And, you know, we were allowed to have an alcoholic beverage in the house. <laughs> what is told to us, oh, it's to drinking responsibly. And it's like, that's crazy. It was, it was kind of insane. But that's what I was exposed to. You know, when I was in college in the 80s, University of Miami, please, there's like everyone doing cocaine. You know, that was the big thing. And what happened was party on the weekend and then came to practice on Monday morning and I couldn't make my optional dives because I had partied so hard. And also when you're an elite athlete, things are available to you. Things are made available to you. Oh, let's get Greg Luganis high or let's, you know, you know, that sort of thing happens. And being young and impressionable, like just wanting to fit in. Sure. You do. You go that route for a bit, but it depends on how committed you are in what your passionate pursuits are. And for me at that time, it was diving. So if it interfered with my diving, then I could set it aside. And I just didn't look back. I never went back to cocaine. That was no longer a part of my life because it interfered with something that was more important than the drugs. So it wasn't like I was finishing practice and hitting the bottle. You know, (laughs) it wasn't quite like that. You learn and grow too. you know, what you can do, what you can't do, what's what works for you, what doesn't work for you. And through your youth, that's what you're trying to figure out is finding out who I am and what works for me. For this next question, we have to go all the way back to 1995. Now, picture Gabe. I'm a I'm a junior in high school, and I'm watching you on television come out as HIV positive. And you were one of the first celebrities that I remember doing so, especially since you were still alive. There were other celebrities that we heard about being HIV positive, uh, unfortunately, after their deaths. But, but you were there. You were strong. You were bold, and you were confident and 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 that's that's what it looked like to me watching on television <laughs> yeah i was just going to say confident not so much <laughs> and that's my question greg because to me you did seem confident and brave but what was actually going through your mind in those moments well i mean there was i had my friends and family who were in my corner a number of people by 95 more people knew in my close circle about my HIV status. And that's the whole process of coming out too. You know, you come out in safe places, people where you feel that they're going to embrace you and support you. And then through that embrace and support, you gain strength and confidence to go a little bit further and go a little bit further and go a little bit further to where it just really doesn't matter. Because that's the one thing that I learned about secrets. I mean, a lot of times the secrets that we keep, we turn those into monsters and dragons that really don't exist. You know, once we release those monsters and dragons, people will judge you, you know, just being open, honest, and authentic, being who you are. You know, and also 
a lot of times we're learning who we are too, because pretty young at that time, but, but also, you know, a lot of therapy, a lot of work that I did on myself before I came out to a press conference and said, I'm Greg Luganis, I'm gay man living with HIV. It took a lot of that earlier with friends and family (laughs) and people who were close to me before I could have that type of confidence to come out in a public forum press conference to be able to really utter those words. And I don't know that I uttered them with all that much confidence. (laughs) Sincerely, Greg, you had so much confidence. There's a phrase that I like, and it says, state your truth, even if your voice trembles. And I'm sure that I've I've butchered that because I always butcher quotes, but I, I really focused on how brave this was for you and all of the people who you were helping the LGBTQ plus movement was really in its infancy, at least from my perspective, my, my perspective as a, a straight white teenager in the Midwest. And, and it, mm. it was an amazing moment. But, but then the controversy started. You were vilified immediately. That, that had to wreck your mental health because that's not the direction that I imagine you wanted it to go. So, I mean, I knew that people are going to judge, but oftentimes that judgment comes out of ignorance. And so the key is education. If you can educate people about how you get HIV, but more importantly, how you don't get it. And in writing the book, I told my co-author, Eric Marcus, that I felt like I was living on an island with barely a phone for communication to the outside world because of all of these secrets, because secrets isolate you. And keeping these secrets, I didn't have a whole lot of support, just a few people, handful of people who knew, but I always had to put on a mask every day, and which is exhausting. It's got to be completely exhausting. And, and you wrote that coming out as an HIV plus gay man helped you find inner peace. Well, sure. I mean, just letting go of that. I don't have to censor myself. If I'm having a bad day, if I'm having issues with some of my HIV meds, hey, I can talk about it because that's a part of life. I mean, there's a lot of parts of our life that, you know, we'd rather not have to deal with, but it's a part of life. Navigating and maneuvering and coming to making healthy choices and sharing those journeys help us to to balance. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com. Gabe Howard here to tell you about the Inside Bipolar podcast from Healthline Media. He does the show with me. Dr. Nicole Washington, a board-certified psychiatrist. That's right. A guy living with bipolar and a psychiatrist team up to discuss living well with bipolar disorder. 
Listen now on your favorite podcast player or visit psychcentral.com slash IBP to learn more. Subscribe now so you don't miss out. Hi there, I'm Faye McRae, Editor-in-Chief of Psych Central. Whether you're looking for free resources, quizzes, or thought-provoking personal perspectives, Psych Central has what you need to join you on your mental health journey. Psych Central's talented team of award-winning writers, editors, and medical professionals are passionate about creating a safe, inclusive, and trustworthy environment where you feel seen and heard. Visit us now at psychcentral.com. That's psychcentral.com. And we're back with the greatest diver of all time, Greg Luganis. You've had several suicide attempts in your life, Greg, and because of your celebrity, they've been discussed very publicly. What led you to those dark places? And have you ultimately been able to overcome those feelings? I was dealing, you know, with depression, a good part portion of my life through my adolescence, hormone changes, not feeling like um, I was normal. You know, I didn't put sexual preference or sexual identity to it. It was just, I knew that I was different. The last suicide attempt was uh, actually over a guy (laughs) and I was in college. And then I realized, oh my God, rather than put my energy into trying to off myself, why don't I try and figure out why I'm here? So that made a tremendous shift for me is to put my energy into trying to figure out why I'm here. You know, what's my purpose? You know, and a part of the book, Breaking the Surface, was really about letting go of those secrets and letting other people know that they're not alone. Because back in in 95, I mean, there were a lot of people who were hiding and there was a lot of fear. And so then coming forward with my HIV status freed me to the point where I didn't have to worry about who knows and who doesn't know. And then it can be a part of conversation. You know, if they ask, then I can educate and just share my experience. And so that we can, we can navigate to be able to support each other. Greg, one of the things that you said was that HIV taught me not to take anything for granted. I didn't think that I would live to see 30. How did that attitude affect your overall mental health? Basically, when I was diagnosed, I mean, I mean I'm, I'm so grateful that I was diagnosed when I was because I still had my diving, you know, in 88. I mean, people were dying. People were dying. There were lots of memorials. There were lots of funerals. Rather than focusing on the disease, I was focused on my diving, which was much more positive and something that I knew it was, I knew it's something that I knew. Focusing on that, it was something positive. So I didn't get caught up in, oh my God, what's my T cell count? What's this? What's that? What's medications coming down the line? I I wasn't caught up in that whole mindset of looking for the next thing that's going to keep me going. I was focused on getting to the pool and doing my list of dives and how well I could perform. That was a wonderful coping mechanism for me in dealing with my HIV. And I think that's the reason why a lot of people didn't tolerate AZT well, if they tolerated it at all. And I competed in the 88 Olympic Games on AZT. 
Now, we were concerned that we have to make sure that uh, it's not on the list of banned substances to be able to compete. So, but AZT is not a performance enhancing drug. It's quite the opposite. It's more like a chemotherapy. The medications that I was taking was depleting my performance rather than enhancing it. Going through that, I think really helped me maintain my health and wellness. And of course, physical activity, it's proven that physical activity is, is very beneficial health-wise. So I think that's probably one of the main reasons why I'm still here today. You, you've come so far. I, I'm sin- sincerely, I mean, so far, and you've accomplished so much and you do so much, but what is life in, in 2022 like for Greg Luganis? Yeah, I'm in a pretty good place. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad. <laughs> I, I, I'm in a pretty good place. Um, I'm looking for work, <laughs> like so many others out there. But um, no, I mean, you've got to have a sense of humor about everything. You got to be able to laugh at everything. But life for me is I have two dogs. I share custody with another dog. My divorce is coming up final. The judge should should be signing off. And actually, I mean, my ex husband, he's a dear, dear friend. I mean, we're we remain friends through this whole process. That was one thing that I was hoping that that we could do is to get to the other side of of this and still be friends. And and we are. I, I would tell him, okay, when we come to the table, let's bring our best selves. And as long as we bring our best selves, then we can get through this. And that's basically what we've been doing. And it's been really wonderful. Greg, I, I just want to ask while I have you here, you know, television shows like Family Guy have, have poked fun at you in the past. How does that impact your mental health? How do you, how do you feel about that? I love it. Are you kidding? <laughs> I, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's hysterical. I mean, I, I, I love that. I mean, I have a good sense of humor about, you know, who I am. Yeah, I don't take myself too seriously. I love it when when my name pops up. It just surprises me. It's like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. <laughs> I just, now that I know that you have like a a great sense of humor about it, it it makes me wonder when you're sitting there and it just, it just happens. Does it, does it brighten your day? Does it make you smile? Is it, is it a mental health boost? Yeah, for sure. Oh my God. Yeah. I I was on uh, Saturday night live skit and then I don't know. I, I mean, people send me those things and I'm like cracking up. I'm like, oh my God, you know, because people just want to be seen, right? And you're unacknowledged. People are seeing and acknowledging me. I mean, I'm flattered. And it doesn't matter what context. What I can't remember one way. I can't remember who the playwright was, but you know, oh, somebody had a a shrine to Greg Luganis. I'm like, oh my god, that's hysterical. Oftentimes, I don't always understand what it means. What you know, <laughs> the double entendres and all that stuff. And, you know, they they mention my name. Oh, that's so cool. You know, I, I often think that that all discussions surrounding, I'm making air quotes, uh, taboo subjects, you know, things like HIV, LGBTQ, mental health, addiction, you know, we need to embrace humor as healthy. I mean, sometimes just throwing it out there, put it in people's faces can in fact do a lot of good, but not everybody feels like, like we do, Greg. Some people are, are mortified by it. They're, they're very offended and they, yeah. they think that there's a, a lack of decorum. So it was, 
I didn't know what answer I was going to get, but it, it sounds like we, we think a lot alike about these things. Yeah. And I don't take it too seriously. If, if it's supposed to something that's supposed to offend somebody, then that's whatever. I mean, it, it all comes back to the meaning we give things, right? So what meaning do you give it? And whatever meaning you give it, that defines you. It doesn't define the comment or the commentary. Greg, I want to be able to direct our listeners over to your website. Yeah, you can find me at gregluganis.com. Awesome. Greg, once again, thank you so much for being here. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Sincerely. I I mean, it's, I don't know if I was just the right age. I don't, I don't know, but you know, I I live with bipolar disorder and I'm a bipolar advocate and I'm not comparing our stories. I'm just, you know, saying I had to be brave and stand up and say, I live with bipolar disorder. I had a suicide attempt. I was in a psychiatric hospital and, and there's a lot of people that helped inspire me along the way. And sincerely, you are one of them. Oh, thank you. I am not on your level. I'm not, there was no press conference, Greg. I don't want you to think I'm delusional. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. That's, that's sweet. No, but I mean, everybody, I mean, you know, we're the stars of our own stories, right? And we all matter. We do very much so. It's, I, I just want you to know that you were one of the, the many people who inspired me that, hey, it, it's, it's going to be okay. And I, I know you said that, that you weren't confident, but I, I got to tell you, you you faked it till you made it so well. And uh, I, I know that you in- inspired and, and moved a lot of people forward. And uh, yeah. I wanted you to know that I was one of them. So <laughs> thank you so much, Gabe. That means so much to me. Oh, well, you are very, very welcome. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. My name is Gabe Howard, and I am the author of Mental Illness as an Asshole and Other Observations, as well as an award-winning public speaker who is available for your next event. My book is on Amazon, or you can grab a signed copy with free show swag or learn more about me by heading over to GabeHoward.com. Wherever you downloaded this episode, please follow or subscribe to the show. It is absolutely free. And hey, can you do me a favor? Recommend the show to a friend, a family member, a colleague, whether it's social media, text message, word of mouth. Recommending the show is how we grow. I will see everybody next Thursday on Inside Mental Health. You've been listening to Inside Mental Health, a Psych Central podcast from Healthline Media. Have a topic or guest suggestion? Email us at show at psychcentral.com. Previous episodes can be found at psychcentral.com slash show or on your favorite podcast player. Thank you for listening. There are few words more misunderstood and misused than OCD. Imagine having unwanted thoughts stuck in your head all day, no matter how hard you try to make them go away, and then having to pretend that everything is okay despite having to feel crippled inside. That's OCD. One in 40 people suffer from it globally, but there's hope. If you have OCD and need help, you can get better with specialized treatment. NoCD offers effective, affordable, and convenient treatment for OCD and is covered by many major insurance plans. Go to NoCD.com to learn more. That's NoCD.com.